So I have two announcements as well. Uh, the, the first one is we have an agape meal coming up. Agape is a meal we all get together, together, and eat it together. It's supposed to breed fellowship among all of us. It's a meal that you are also going to help make, though. So we talked about this last week. It's on the 24th of this month. It's a Sunday afternoon, and we asked you guys to help grab some stuff and make some things. And, and apparently, I don't know what the deal is, but you're all afraid of chicken. And I have no idea why. So I am here to tell you, you need to help make some chicken. Because that is the only thing in this meal I'm going to eat. Maybe the bread. Okay? But seriously. So uh, there's like a, it was a whole stack of chicken left. Everybody took like the Brussels sprouts. We took those off the thing. So you guys are like, oh, Brussels sprouts, those are easy. I'll get those. I'll throw them in the oven. Done. Put some effort. Make some chicken. Now. If your chicken is terrible, you're not going to know which one yours is anyway. And if you do, you can be like, oh, that's terrible. Who made that? And go grab a different one. It's okay. Be like, nobody should eat that chicken. Just give it a shot. Okay. So uh, anybody want to help try and make some chicken? Oh. The recipe is in here. Sorry. Uh, this, it, sorry. That's out there. Anybody want to make a salad? Salad's easy. Oh, oh Sammy. Sammy, had her hand up first. I don't normally run around in the room. Oh, grab a chicken too. Creepy hype man. (laughs) Woo! It's the most exercise I got all week. (laughs) The second thing I have to tell you about is so so grab a a a thing out there and make it and bring it back. Don't forget to don't just be like, I'm guilted, I'll take one. Make it and bring it back. The second thing is Years ago, when Star Wars started their whole new trilogy movie thing, and J.J. Abrams made that first one after all these years, we rented out an entire theater. Uh, This is what it looked like. Okay? So this is the last one of the trilogy, and we decided to give a shot and try it again. So we rented out a theater. It's on opening weekend, Sunday. The the showing is at 2.50 on Sunday afternoon. Now, this, this kind of caused us some issues of trying to get the tickets for this because they only sell assigned seating now. And that's kind of tough for us because we didn't want to have Sarah in the back being like, where do you want to sit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then take half an hour to sell you a ticket. And they didn't want to let us cross out the seat numbers. But we, I went back and talked to them, and I had a conversation with the manager. And after a bit, he relented and agreed with me. <laughs> so... so we have, we've crossed out the seat numbers, and so now you just are going to line up out front, first come, first serve, get in, get a seat. Uh, the tickets cost us $10.90. We're going to charge you $12 for them, and here's the reason. First off, some of you are going to pay for them with a credit card, and we get charged credit card fees when you pay for them like that. And the second thing is we want to be able to give a few of these away. And I would encourage you, if you have someone in your life who loves Star Wars, maybe you don't even care about that much, but you know someone who does, Buy a ticket for yourself and for a friend and invite them to come. We're going to do a little bit of trivia beforehand. They're going to turn down the 20. We're going to hand out prizes. Hopefully, it'll be a lot of fun. So, again, the tickets are 12 bucks. Grab a couple. Uh, maybe, you want to, maybe you want to buy an extra one and just leave it with us to give it one of the kids at Delta. You are more than capable to do that. We are more than willing to do that for you as well. So let's, we want to be able to fill up this theater. And if it's like last time, the last time we did this, some of you guys waited to the last minute. Can I have a ticket? No, we're sold out. Why are you sold out of tickets? Why are you so last minute? Okay, so buy, buy, a, buy a, a ticket and then come and hang out with us and there. Does that make all make sense? 22nd? December 22nd. Oh, yeah, opening weekend. It's, that's the opening weekend. I think it opens on the 19th. We're watching on the 22nd.
December. Oh. July 2020. Sorry. I should write that on my notes. December 22nd. 250. Buy a ticket. We'll go watch this movie. Hopefully, it'll be better than the last one. It's not directed by the same guy, so it should be. Hey, welcome to Element, if you are new. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes and questions to reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? <coughs> and I'm finally getting over this cold. So uh, this is Ecclesiastes 11, verse 10. It says, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Uh, that's the word for meaningless. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning I ask that you would bring us to be a people who see what truly has meaning and that we would look beyond what is under the sun to what is eternal and what you have spoken over us and placed within our hearts and we would love you and serve you and and seek you in all things so you are glorified as we live in the great joy of the provision that you have given for our lives. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so I'm going to have you guys just start from the top. Open your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. Uh, I feel almost like instead of telling you what week we're in in Ecclesiastes, week 30, by the way, I should only start telling you how many weeks we got left. You have three, including today. It is like we're right there. And Ecclesiastes 11.7 kind of goes with this. It says, uh, light is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It is like you are seeing the light at the end of the Ecclesiastes tunnel. Woohoo! here we go. Uh, today, we're going to make meander through the ideas of youth versus uh, getting older and maturity and what those things look like. And if you only look at your life as being under the sun, it will be meaningless. And this is the word that Solomon keeps using over and over in the book. Uh, In the ESV, which we use, you see this word called vanity. That word is meaningless. I think the most proper translation, though, for it is vapor. It's this Hebrew word called a vel, and it literally means a mist or a vapor. In the morning, you get up and you breathe into a cold morning, you see your breath, and it starts to go away very quickly. And I've done this multiple times where I've said, this is kind of what it's like. This is what it's referring to. If you focus on life only under the sun in this created realm, this is what you get. You get mist, you get vapor. And so Solomon, the author, will talk about how horses are vapor. And you might say, well, yeah, because I don't own a horse, right? But this would be like your car, okay? Your car that you love so much, it's eventually vapor if you put all of your time and energy in that what your life is about. Uh, your labor, your job, if that is all your life is about, it is going to be meaningless. Life is a vapor, which would mean eventually your 401k, not that it's wrong to have a 401k, but if your life is solely built on a 401k, it becomes vapor. When I was in junior high school, all, the, all my friends, we all wanted a Lamborghini because Lamborghinis were cool. we got to have a Lamborghini. You know what a Lamborghini is? Vapor. Right? Uh, last year was my wife's 50th birthday, and we bought her a 68 Chevy Camaro. You know what that is? Vapor. It's got to work on that thing all the time. It's vapor, right? You know, you got to... Ford, Chevy, Toyota, Dodge, full-size pickup. If that's what your life is about, you see these people with these bumper stickers, oh, you know, Ford all the way. It's vapor. That's all it is because you're focusing your life upon this thing. He'll talk about your intelligence, your diploma, your degree, your political opinion. Yes, vapor. He will talk about vineyards, lawn, trees, fruit, water, sun, wind, pools, stars, sky, 
vapor. If you focus your life solely upon those things under the sun in the created realm, it is vapor. He will say, if you are married, husbands and wives sometimes they'll expect the other person to be everything in their world. And sometimes people will do this when I do weddings and they'll speak to their spouse, you are everything in my world. And I'm like, well, that's not going to end well because in the end, it's vapor. Because the other person cannot be God in your life. Someone in your life or you yourself will die. People will forget about you. Solomon says all things are wearisome, more than one can say. And if you focus on anything that is temporary under the sun, it will ultimately be vapor. And this is why Solomon in Ecclesiastes tries to get us to look beyond the sun to God's eternality and the picture then of what we should be living for day to day, where our focus should be. Walker Percy said this, To live in the past and future is easy. To live in the present is like threading a needle. Because the present so wants to pull us into just seeing this world and this life and all that it is here and not seeing what God is calling us into into eternity. So Ecclesiastes 11.7, Solomon goes this, Light is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And it's nice because Solomon has been so negative and so depressing in the book. You get a little bit of uplifting ray of hope here. He's saying that life can be and is very beautiful. He is referencing like these days when you wake up and everything is just going well. You wake up five minutes before your alarm goes off and you're awake. You're like, this is great. And you can breathe through both nostrils. It's like wide open. Oh, it feels so good. That almost never happens. And then you get up and your knees don't hurt and your back doesn't creak. You're like, this is amazing. You get a text from someone who you thought was mad at you and they're not really mad at you and everything's great. You like fall into this rhythm where everything just seems right. The stars align. The breakfast tastes better. The music sounds better. You roll down your cars, you drive to work, and it's the perfect temperature in Santa Maria, and it doesn't smell like poop or broccoli. It's like, wow, this is great. You got the Goldilocks zone. And he says, there are times when life is so unbelievably sweet, and the sun feels so good on your skin. It's like he says, the majority of our life, we just go through not realizing all the good gifts that God has placed directly in front of us. Even in the valley of Santa Maria where we are. People get so, oh, Santa Maria stinks. Have you ever looked up after it rains and all the hills turn green? It's like, Wow, it's actually pretty beautiful here. My wife and I lived in Sedona, Arizona for a year. We're there for like two, three months. We forget how cool it looks there. People come to visit. This place is amazing. We're like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This place looks pretty pretty amazing. That's what he's saying. He says, you know, look up, look around all the great things that God has done. Now, you've got to beware, though, because this is Solomon. And you know the other shoe is going to drop any moment. He's going to, like, pop your bubble of joy, right? He's like, life is great. It can be so amazing. But have you remembered? Death is real, and it's coming for you. So that's, that's where he goes, okay? Verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So while you have breath, while you have opportunity for sweet life, feel the sun, enjoy it. But, and here it comes, let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. And again, there's your word for meaningless. Now, see, he's going, chase life, chase Jesus, love life to the fullest. But the truth is, most of the time, you're going to wake up in the morning, and you're going to get one nostril at best. Like, maybe half, right? And guess what? Your back is going to hurt more often than not because you tried to lift that thing and you fell off that thing you shouldn't have. And your knees will creak and eventually you will die. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. 
Now, Matt Chandler, when he talks about these verses, he says there's a big difference between wanting to do something and wanting to be something. And he says most people in their lives, they have an idea of something they want to be, but they don't really want to do the hard work of becoming that something. Like, I always want to be in better shape. And my friend Sean does CrossFit. He's always inviting me to go check out CrossFit with him. And he's like, what time? I'm going to go at 5 a.m. My alarm goes up at 5, and I'm like, Nah, I'm not going to CrossFit, right? I, I want to be in better shape. I just don't want to do the work to actually get there. Uh, so this is what Chandler says. He goes, the majority of people are stuck in the want-tos. They want to be godly men and women. They want to be godly husbands. They want to be godly mothers. They want these things, but few ever do anything to try to attain it. They just sit, and want, sit in the want until the want fades into I wish I would have. Solomon says, don't miss out on the opportunities that God has placed in your life to enjoy the things he has given you, to enjoy the joy that he is pushing you towards. And it's really one of the few times in the Bible this whole idea of following your heart is spoken of in anywhere near a positive aspect. But it's spoken of it that way because Solomon has taken you through 10 plus chapters at this point to get you to the place to realize we should first be delighting in God first. And it's going to be like Solomon's equal opportunity here because he's going to pick on the young and the old. And I think it's because he's sprinting towards the finish line of the book and his own life. He's like, you're going to start young and awkward, not knowing what you do with yourself, and you're going to end old and weird. It's just how it goes. So he's trying to encourage everyone to look for what God is doing beyond the sun where he's taking us into. And if you're young, you got to spend your life with the view of the future, make presence decisions that will lead to your future future joy. Solomon urges us to seek God early in life, stick close by him all of our days so we don't end up a miserable old grouch filled with regrets just like him. Ecclesiastes, he'll talk about all these times and seasons. And he says, when you're young, it's like springtime. The sun is out, feels good on your skin. Go to the beach, learn how to surf. But like George R. R. Martin, winter is coming. And it's going to be coming for you. And our life has these seasons. And no matter how many seasons or how many years that we have, God has brought us the ability to enjoy those things no matter where we find ourselves when our lives aren't solely based on what is under the sun. So he says, let him remember the days of darkness will be many. And that's a hard truth, especially because a lot of element is pretty young. And this is a hard truth for you, and that is you will be older longer than you are young. That's just the truth of it. The NIV says, So be happy, young man or woman, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. And again, this is really kind of good. Yeah, see, while you're young, you better enjoy it because... That's how it goes. And that's good because, again, a lot of element is is young. So he's saying learn how to enjoy your days. Enjoy life with God, the opportunities that he brings and he gives. And I I think Solomon listened and heard this from his dad, but he didn't really put it into practice. Uh, Psalm 1611, written by his dad David. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He heard this, but he didn't really apply it to his life. David says, Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We, you know, this is the whole idea, again, that, that he heard it, but he didn't really listen or live it out. We talked about the heart last year in the series through Proverbs. And today in our culture, you hear this a lot. Follow your heart. Follow, what does your heart tell you? Go to, well, throughout the scriptures, you mostly see that it says, your heart is wicked above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And we sometimes, when we follow our heart, think, yes, God's going to give me everything I want. The car I want, the job I want, or the lack thereof, the job that I didn't want, or the likes on Instagram, and, and all this you know, center of attention. 
attention. No, what he's saying is when God is your delight, when God is the center of who you are, when your heart is centered upon him, God is going to change your desires to be his desires in your life. I think we usually lack joy in our life because we are seeking our own desires. And in the end, we will look like what we worship. Like if you worship sex, you're going to be filled with lust. You're going to be perverted. You're going to, no matter how many partners you have, you're still going to feel alone deep in your heart. If you worship money, you're going to be never satisfied and you're going to be greedy and hoard everything to yourself. If you worship self, you're going to be addicted to fame. How many likes you get on Instagram or how many people thumbs up what you say or respond to your stuff on Facebook? You're going to be very narcissistic. But if you worship God, we are told eventually we will start to look like Christ because our hearts are centered there. What Solomon wants us to do is be a people who live full and free. It's like the early church father Augustine said, love God and do whatever you please. Why? Because when you truly love God, what we please will actually please him because we love him first. It's not so much as, is this God's will or is this my will? It's that our hearts begins to beat in time and rhythm with God. All these questions people grow up with, who should I marry, what school should I go to, what job should I have, when should I retire, God tell me. I don't know if this makes sense, but you don't always need to seek God's will. What you need to do is seek God himself. That's what we do because we worship and love him. We don't worship God's will, we worship God. That's who we worship. We want to be in a relationship with him, that he gives a a desire, then we begin to run with that desire. And so we stop being all the time focused on all these decisions, but we be focused on Jesus. Like, do you know why I work at Element? You know, you're like, I don't know. Yeah, mean it. No, I, because I actually like it. Like, I sit here, you guys will heckle me and make fun of me, but I will spend a lot of time making sure that we walk through the scriptures so they are relatable and understandable. And we push it towards gospel communities. I do this because I love it. I believe it's desire that God put in me. I don't do it for what I get out of it. I do it because I think God has placed this desire, and I love him. Just like I, I love my wife and I have a desire for her. I have a desire for music. I like that. But music and my wife are not central. God is central to my life. I love God. He gives me a desire for certain things. And I can love that and follow those desires in a way that honors him. And this is why he says, walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. So often we say, well, I can't just do what I want. Well, in one sense you can if you are first delighting in who God is. And I think what Solomon is trying to do after all these chapters is trying to breed a little bit of excitement in us. He wants us to be like, yeah, I can actually love and follow God and have a full life. Yes, you can. Sometimes I think people who are Christians, sometimes you're too sane. It's like you don't, you're always apathetic towards everything. You don't want to really get excited because you don't want God to get mad at you at something. I think dullness can be a sin. I mean, Christians think that because they have their pants on and aren't drunk, well, therefore, it's not a sin. I, I'm not saying take your pants. You know what I'm saying, right? Right? It, it's like sometimes we're just a little bit too sane. God made us to be free and passionate. And that means we squeeze opportunities of joy no matter where we are. I mean, what's on your heart? Try it. Now, that can be dangerous if you aren't first delighting in God. But if you are, it can be amazing to be just a tiny bit insane. Right? And so he says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Simply, it's the idea that God has given us a gas pedal and a brake. And some people are all brake and never do anything. And some people are all gas. <laughs> and just That's funny, right? They're all gas. And they're, they, just, they just keep going. And this is why I think a lot of times people, when they get married, you marry someone who's opposite of you. Like if you're all gas, you typically marry someone who's got some brake in them because like, slow down. Then you get mad at them or telling you to slow down. But don't do that. because that's the, And if you're all brake, you marry someone who's like all gassy. <laughs> There's so many different things you can go with that. Anyway, but, you know, because, because you want to have a little bit of excitement in your life in that. 
So often we walk through just thinking one day God's going to pull us out of our grave and empty our stomach and make us explain everything we ate and the people you made out with and the time you wasted in that YouTube hall. And we forget of how good God is with his grace and his kindness and his mercy. And so when it says chase your heart, it's not a junior high girl chase your heart. It's have a heart for God first. That's what he's saying. I thoroughly believe that this, I just felt it. It's a horrible way to live your life. It really is. Because, because just feeling, it's like having your desires be centered on who God is changes. I just felt it to, man, God is leading me into something amazing. I believe that young people and old people should be full of dreams that capture our hearts, that there should be zeal to pursue those dreams. And we should also have an awe and a fear of God that keeps us from sin and stupidity. We are to enjoy God and be passionate no matter what age we are. And Psalm now gives us three things. He says, chapter 11, verse 10, So remove vexation, that's the word for anxiety, from your heart. Now that's amazing, because 3,000 years ago, God through Solomon says young people and older people are prone to get into depression. Is depression a big deal in our society today? Oh, yeah, yeah. Elementary school, junior high, high school, college, later in life. It is. It's a big deal. Now, Solomon says love of God should be first and foremost in our hearts. But where does he say depression and anxiety likes to take up residence? In our hearts, right? So depression and anxiety are going to keep us from being focused on who God is, and it steers us towards an emotional hell. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. 3,000 years ago, God through Solomon says young people are prone to abuse their bodies as they're growing up. From everything to drugs and alcohol to premarital sex, skateboarding without pads and helmets. Then you turn 40 and you can't get anything out of your pockets without a little bit of help. Right? It's, it's terrible. I mean, have you seen Tony Hawk or Johnny Knoxville? Those guys are just a wreck. They can't do anything anymore. Um, I'm getting old. And I know this because, you know, like 14, 15 years ago, we had this mud football game. Had all these teenagers. And I had this kid with size 13 and a half feet step on my foot and break my metatarsal in my foot it still hurts my intern at the same game broke his collarbone it was a great game okay it was amazing we you know half us end up going to the hospital woo, covered in mud and dirt it was great it was great but i mean it still hurts today like is it gonna rain i'll be like nope Right? I'm like an old farmer, right? I just fill up my thing. Everything feels like around me. I was working for this place, and we had to get these Christmas trees out of, this, out of the back of this place. And this one got stuck on this railing. It was like six and a half feet up in the air. So, you know, I'm young and dumb. I climb up, and I just grab that tree six and a half feet in the air. Yank, 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 because snap, me and the tree. Boom, on my back. Ten years later, I'm like, oh, it still has not healed, right? That's what happens, right? You get older, and it just all still hurts. He's saying, young people, listen, eat what you want. But be careful of your emotional and physical health. He says, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now, in context, what he is really saying is, deal with your junk when you're young. Because when you get older, the more it's going to cost you. And this is one of kind of sometimes the most frustrating things about about being a pastor at times, is that I see a lot of your guys' lives and where you go. Um, And... If you're in your 20s, I really feel for you because you kind of have it the worst with the ideas of, of lust and pornography in our culture because you are so eaten up by it all the time. And so much you want to get away from it, but it's got a hook so deep in you. And our culture keeps telling you, oh, no, pornography is normal. Oh, it's great. Oh, it Do you know study after study comes out and tells you how it ruins intimacy and how it ruins relationships and how you cannot connect it as somebody else. But yet we keep getting sucked back into it over and over and over. There 
there are certain things in people's lives that just continue to destroy them. And it frustrates me because I feel like Solomon sometimes. I think Solomon says, you know, no matter what I say, no matter how hard I plead with you, many times people are going to do what they want by following their own hearts and it's going to destroy them. And I know this because I have done this myself in my life. I have followed my hearts in certain ways and it has come to a place where I have gotten destroyed. And life is going to come along when you do that and it's going to kick the snot out of you. And it's going to leave you in a place where you're like, what do I do in the midst of this? And when life under the sun comes along and does that, you have two choices. The first one is this. You can get mad at God for letting it happen. You can say, well, I don't believe in you. God must not exist because this thing happened. We get to blame him for all of our dumb decisions and not them, and they're not working out the way that we wanted them to. Or secondly, we can start to trust him for what he has actually said to have our affections start to be first placed upon Him and not all these other things in our lives, to love and trust Him more than we love and trust our own hearts. The whole idea of removing vexation and pain while you're young has the idea of dealing with it while it's directly in front of you. Don't wait until you're older and you have so many regrets and you just sit in shame. When God puts something in front of you by His grace, start to deal with it. Get people around you. Pray to Him. Get together with a gospel community of people around you who can walk you through those things. Because there are some people who have abandonment issues and mom issues and dad issues or whatever issues. And it moves people to not want to stay in a relationship for very long. Whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a church relationship or a gospel community relationship, Solomon says you've got to work through it now. You've got to work through your anxiety. You will always be running. Matt Chandler says this. He says, the thing about deep roots is that they never come up on the first pool. And I like that because it's twofold. I think we have a deep relationship with God. When storms in life come, our roots don't just come up. But it's also, if you've gone through a lot of stuff in your life and they've had your, just their hooks so deep in you, it's hard to get that roots of those weeds out without first working it back and forth. I mean, I'm not a farmer, but I'm related to one, and I know this from my own backyard. Our culture excels at ignoring fear and anxiety and the truth. And we think by ignoring it, it removes it from our lives, but it doesn't. We just keep chopping the top of the weed off. And a lot of times we try and numb ourselves with different things. Like if you're having a bad day, what do you go towards? Do you go in and get some fast food or a cake? Or uh, My friend Laura Weeding says she knows when it's a bad day because it's a four-cookie day. And I just laugh because that sounds like lunch. You know? <laughs> some people go get like a two-liter bottle of soda. Uh, if you don't know me, um, I, I like good beer. Uh, good beer is not cheap. And I will sometimes have my friend order me, uh, her friend, her name is Jamie, order me a five-gallon keg. Don't worry. I don't go home and like, I'm having a bad day. Okay, that's not why I have it. I actually, it, it lasts me six to eight months with friends coming over, okay? And a five-gallon keg is like 46 pints, so it's, it's actually not a whole lot. But I always go to pick it up from a friend of hers who owns this liquor store. And I'm always amazed when I go to pick it up. Because I'll sit there just waiting for this keg, and there'll be people just walk through the stream of people, and the guy behind the counter knows them. Oh, here's your Coke, and here's your three shots. Here's your Diet Coke, here's your two shots. And just on, it's this whole stream of people, and I'm just like, wow. Because people are numbing. They're, they're self-medicating. Some people do it with prescription pills. And, and we all do these things to cope rather than actually dealing with what Solomon says. Deal with where your affections lie. That's what he's saying. And don't misunderstand me. There are times that we have chemical imbalances in our mind that require medication for us to function properly. I am not anti-medication. That's, I'm not at all. I am anti-medication if you use it as a crutch for not dealing with your heart issue, though. That's what I'm anti. If you've got a chemical imbalance that needs to be addressed, then use what God has given. 
praise and thank Him for the ability we have doctors to understand some of this stuff. But those things were not given to us as something to numb our heart, but rather survive situations where biologically we need help. Solomon is speaking about the bitterness and the hardness of what life is and what it can do to us. And I don't need to list examples because we all probably have different examples of what has happened to us in our lives. But hopefully we can all agree that there are many vexations. There are many things that are meaningless in the world. And what typically happens is people get mad at God for them. We blame God for our pain rather than trusting God for what he has said. What we too often do in our lives is we create God in our own image. God has to look like this. Oh, this thing happened to me? God didn't stop it? Well, then God must have failed. And the whole time we were only worshiping ourselves and not worshiping who God actually is. Solomon does his best throughout Ecclesiastes in all honesty to lay our lives directly in front of us so we have to see what they are. Everything under the sun. And it is more than finding ways to deal with discouragement from our souls, to minimize damage to our bodies. It's a call to see the very real suffering that we experience and everyone around us does. And we cannot escape from it by trying to live for pleasure. It's a call to take care of our mental and physical health by realizing where our ultimate hope comes from. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where hope comes from. And if we get discouraged by the vanity of life, Solomon says you should refuse to feel sorry for yourself. Don't dwell on all these things that could or are going wrong. Instead, count the blessings that God has placed in your life right now. Because the best remedy for all this meaningless and vanity is twofold. One of them is that God has given us this thing called the church. And yes, I know, throughout the world today, the church has done some horrible and stupid things. But it doesn't get rid of the fact that we are a people meant to come alongside one another and love one another. We are called to be brothers and sisters to each other. And we do this life with each other. That's why we try to connect you guys in gospel communities. But the most important thing is that God himself has come to restore relationship with us. God has called us to go to him in prayer. We can lay all of our troubles upon him. We can trust him for what he has said. All that has separated us from God. God took care of himself to bring us back into relationship with him. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus died and rose for us for all that separated us from God and us from one another. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything. There's your vexation word, by the way. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You want to talk about principles or commands in the Bible? That's a good one because it goes to a promise. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Where? In Christ Jesus, there. The biblical way of removing anxiety is to cast our cares upon God. It's, it's, it's not wrong if there's suffering in your life to try and ease the pain. But the scripture's ways to ease our pain is not to try and numb it with alcohol or drugs or blaming others. I think one of the reasons Ecclesiastes goes the way that it does to this removing pain and vexation is Solomon knows that we are going to be in a place in our lives and we must Deal with it. And you cannot stay young forever. He says, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. He doesn't necessarily mean that it's just meaningless because he has already told you, rejoice in your youth and its many pleasures. But remember that youth in the end, it's just a vapor. You cannot focus your life just on it. And those things that happen to you there, you're going to have to deal with them in life at some point. And youth is like a smoke that disappears into thin air. It's like a mist that vanishes in the morning sun. 
one day you're going to be young and strong, but almost before you know it, those days are gone. And you're going to say, well, how did I get so old? Which is what we'll talk about next week, and it's actually kind of funny as well. But Solomon reminds us, he wants us to live free, to live free. And America's current cultural mindset of living free is no one gets to tell me what to do. That's not how Solomon thinks of freedom. Solomon doesn't deal with it in the ideas of cynicism or pessimism, but he deals with the realization about the reality of what life is and all of life's limitations. He is helping us remember God that no matter where you are, when you trust him, he will make everything beautiful in his time. Ecclesiastes 3.11. There's a time to be young and strong, and you're in that season of life. Celebrate its blessings. But I'll tell you, you will never fully appreciate when you were young and strong as when you're older. And you're looking back and you're like, man, I remember when I was young and strong. And we just think back upon those days of how great they were and not really even thinking when you get older, the great blessings that getting older actually is. There's great wisdom that comes from getting older, especially when you have learned how to deal with all the stuff in life that throws at you by trusting in God first. It is how it's all meant to go together, so how we do life together with one another. The beauty of youth and its power, and the beauty of age and its power with its wisdom. And in the end, it'll all pass like vapor because we are but mortal mortal creatures. And the beauty of the gospel is that into this meaninglessness, God has spoken words of promise and renewed life. God has promised us new and redeemed bodies, imperishable, because God is going to take away, He has taken away our sin. He's restoring us to His grace. All that we have seen and gone through under the sun is not meaningless. There can be purpose behind all of it when we have our faith placed in God's rescue of us. And I think it's important for us to ask a question now, especially in times when things feel meaningless. It's that, are you mad at God for letting certain things happen to you in your life? Like, do you blame Him for your dumb decisions? Or do you trust him for where he's trying to lead you? It's do we love and trust him more than we love and trust our own hearts? Because the only way that we will live in new life that isn't vapor is simply by trusting him more than we trust our hearts. When we, when we place all of our lives and delight in who he is, that is when we'll be able to understand and live in the good news of the gospel. Because if we don't, it's always going to steer us away from the good news of the gospel. The good news is that we are terrible and that God is good. And God has come to rescue us, and we need to live as the rescued. And a lot of times people are like, well, can we really do that? Can we live that way, live this life full of God with Him? Yes. Yes, we can. Because it is not about what we have done. It is about what God has done for us. And what he has, has He done? He has rescued us. He has come to us exactly where we are in the midst of our suffering and our pain, the things that we have done to others, the things that others have done to us in these places in our lives and brought us back to himself. And all the ways that we have gotten so focused and caught up in our own myopic little world of this has happened to me or that's happened to me. God constantly comes to us in Christ and says, yes, that happened to you, but I still love you. and I'm going to bring you in a relationship with me, so stop looking at you. Look at me. Look at me. Get your eyes up off of you. Focus upon my rescue and redemption of you. And when we do that, we'll be able to start living in wisdom and hope and God's mercy and grace in ways that we never have before. And it won't matter if you wake up in the morning with one nostril open and the other one closed like, ah, you're going to be like, you know what, God, thanks for the one nostril because I can breathe and you are good. And this is one of the reasons we go to communion every week. It's a reminder of what God has done to rescue us. You take and you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken because God himself deemed to rescue us because he loves us. You dip that in the wine of the grape juice, and it reminds us that Christ loves us. He poured out his, shed his blood of his own volition for us to bring us into relationship with God again. 
all that we can never pay for, all of our sin. Christ took care of himself. So we surrender ourselves and trust him for his provision for us to bring us into a relationship with God. The band's going to come up. As they do, uh, I'm going to invite you guys to take communion. There'll be some uh, deacons in the back. If you need prayer, maybe you're in a place today. And you have these different vexations in your life that you feel like are overtaking you. Uh, maybe you're in a place where you feel like anxiety gets the best of you a lot of times, and you want someone to pray with you about that. They would love to pray with you about that. Because quite honestly, we all sometimes end up in those places where things just overwhelm us. And the best thing for us to do in the midst of that is to have our minds and hearts reminded of the good news of God's rescue, of what the gospel is. Because in that, it's going to steer our minds back to who God is calling us to be. His great hope, His great redemption. That it's not about us trying to get everything in our lives all lined up and perfect. It's that God has given His perfection to us. God has given us His righteousness. And so we can live in freedom. And yes, there are times this life will throw things at you that are just terrible. But God is still good. And He calls us to Himself and we can rest in His provision for us. Uh, There's offering boxes next to every door. Uh, We give because God gave so much to us, so giving is part of our worship. We don't pass the plate. It's a response. There's some food outside or snacks. Grab something to eat. Take some sermon notes this week. Meet with some people and walk through some of those questions about that. You know, the the ideas of what causes you anxiety or vexation, what, what starts to get your mind off of where you are, what stage in life are you? Do you feel like you're young and full of power old and dang it, my back hurts all the time and I only have one nostril to breathe through. You know, what, what stage are you in? And how can you praise and love God in the midst of wherever you are and the wisdom that he has granted you as you walk through these things? Because our God is good. Our God is good. And again, I would encourage you, if you need prayer for any of that stuff, to pray with one of the people in the back because they love to pray with you about that. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us daily of your goodness and your provision for us. Father, so often we get so myopic in our view where we can only see and focus on what is happening in our own little circumstance, in our own little life, rather than looking up and seeing the eternality of who you are and what you are calling us into. So often when we think of salvation, we make it so just about ourselves. And we don't even cease, and we cease to look around at the people around us who also need to hear of your good news because we get so caught up in the things that happen to us. And so I ask that you would teach us to look up from our own lives, to see who you are, your call to us, and your grace, and your mercy, and your restoration. Father, move us to be a people who trust you with all that we are. So we stop making our lives all about ourselves. And God, we know there are times in our lives where things happen. And it so much wants us to pull pulls away from who you are. But I ask, in those times and places, we would still go where you call us. We would follow you as you lead us. Because you have rescued us. And we'd be a people who sit with the great reminder day by day of that great redemption. And that we would live out day by day in your name and all that we do, finding great joy in the God who has rescued us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.